As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Episode 81 She Picks Up Pennies Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien And I'm Katie Welsh Katie, you know what I think is so important? What? Tracking your spending It is so important Yeah, like having a budget in place And, you know, like trying to sort of figure out where your money is going It enables you to sort of plan for long-term events And you know, really try to get your financial life in shape. Yeah. And I know a lot of people probably kind of think of it as like, ugh, what a drag. Like, yeah. I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is important. And if you stay on top of it, like most things, it doesn't have to take a long time to do. Right. And you know, the things as well is that in days gone past, I remember before like any of these other apps, I used to try and check my spending and you literally pull up the bank statements and you pull up, try and categorize stuff. And it takes time, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really takes time. But these days you get all these apps that are able to do it for you and they link to your bank accounts and they pull down all the information and, and they make it super duper easy. Yeah. It makes it super duper easy. In fact, why are you not doing it? This is more the question that you should be asking yourself. <laughs> yeah. So today we talked to Penny and she talks about how she started tracking her spending and it literally was like life changing for her. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you want to dive right in? Sure. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey Chainers, welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today we have Penny with us. Penny is a teacher by day and a personal finance blogger by night. Her and her husband have paid over $85,000 on two teacher salaries while starting a family. She's been featured all over the place including Rockstar Finance, Modest Money and a Plutus Award finalist. Welcome. Hey! Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. I feel like I have been following you on Twitter forever. And now that we actually get to talk, I had all these questions for you. <laughs> Hooray! I'm so stoked. So what I feel like everybody in our generation has had like mostly one big money mistake. Have you had any big money mistakes that like you kind of look back and you think like, oh, I wish I didn't do that or I wish I would have thought through it a little bit better? Yes and no. Um, I don't feel like I have, I don't have any juicy numbers. Uh, and that's actually 
part of the problem. I'm super grateful that I made it through college. I didn't leave with student loans, which I know is a really, we're at a crisis point with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very grateful that I don't have anything like that to share. But I also think that my personal problem uh, went, I guess, unnoticed for so long because there was no obvious statement in the mail or anything like that. I didn't have any consumer debt, but I was spending everything I was earning. Um, And then by the time I got married and we started combining our finances, my husband and I were looking at our savings account and we're like, what, what is going on? Like, where is our money going? And we had no idea. Um, and then I started looking around our house. We had bought a home and I was moving in box after box after box of shoes. I started counting one day and had counted over 200 pairs and then gave up and, you know, started sobbing because here we're in our mid twenties, we bought a brand new house and I'm crying that it's too small and it's three bedrooms and has a a basement. And I like looking around and then all of a sudden, all I could see were all these dollar signs. Like what in the world have you been doing with your life? Um, So I suppose that is my big money mistake. That's a lot of shoes. (laughs) (laughs) See Dennis, I told you I didn't have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So when Katie moved um, in in Virginia, she, she probably bought, like, how many shoes did you bring up? Okay, hold on now. <laughs> so, first of all, I had an entire house full of stuff. And I managed to bring up two suitcases beforehand. And then I came up with, like, just a car full of stuff. So, I donated, sold, or threw away basically, like, everything that I owned. So, a couple of extra shoes, I feel like, are fine. I am so impressed. Yeah, (laughs) I was impressed. That actually was like, I didn't know it at the time, like a big turning point for me because I had just bought my house like a year before. So, I went out, I bought all this stuff and I loved everything and I was so excited. And then moving up here, there was not enough room for us to have two of everything and I'm the one moving. So I was kind of like, well, I could get a, and Dennis, I just bought everything that he, that you would typically need. And I was kind of just like, well, I don't really want to rent like a U-Haul and tote my car behind it and everything. Like, what am I going to do? So I just started purging everything and it kind of showed me without even realizing it, how stuff really does not matter. Because I loved it at the time, but now, like, I don't think of any of the old stuff that I got rid of, except for my couch that I sold, which was significantly lighter than the one that that we have now. <laughs> and when it comes to, like, moving, yeah. it, a heavy yeah. couch is not a fun thing. No, That's it's the only not. thing that I miss. <laughs> but Yeah, but yeah. It, it's true, though. Like, realizing how, you know, like, we, uh, I think inherently by nature, we are hoarders, you know, we collect stuff and we go about our lives and, you know, we just end up getting a whole bunch of random stuff. And like, really, how much value is there to that stuff? You know, how much stuff do you actually use on a continuous daily basis? And Mm -hmm. how much stuff do you buy? And you you maybe use once every two years. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. I was going through my closet when I was having this moment and that's a lie. 
there were multiple closets. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going through all this stuff and I'm like, I, re- I have all these clothes with price tags still hanging on them. Like, so it's, it, I mean, yes, using it once or twice, but in my case, using it never. And it, it was just all of this mindless spending uh, that, you know, has financial consequences, but emotional, psychological, environmental, I was just in a tailspin. So that was how the blog was born. That's such an awesome story. And to go along with your 200 pairs of shoes, do you still have all those shoes? Oh my gosh, no. So that's been my, uh, I, a lot of people call it a side hustle, but I don't know that I'm really hustling if I already bought the stuff and now I'm losing money on it, but, um, I'm getting a little bit of money back from Poshmark and reselling in other ways, but I would say I'm down to about 30 pairs, which is still probably 25 too many, but you know, it's progress. That's That's a a huge huge change. Progress. I ask because I have been trying to kind of thin out some of the stuff that we have and kind of do like a spring cleaning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just learned about the DSW shoe donation program. Have you heard about it? Did you post this on Twitter? Or I feel like I just saw this on Twitter. It was was like life changing for me. So I was with my friend Haley and she was telling me about it. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, that can't be right. Like, you take your shoes to them and then they give you a credit. And she was like, yes. And so I went and we live right next to a DSW. Like, it's they have a one shoe per trip policy. Like, a one pair of shoes, not like one sure. individual <laughs> shoe. And so, like, for me, it's not a problem to, like, go every day because I literally walk by it all the time. And it's kind of to the point now where I'm surprised the girl still asks for my name because like <laughs> I remember you like you don't remember me. But um, yeah, no, we've gotten I've gone three days in a row and like they give you like the first time they gave me like this $10 off card. And then I guess they just put you in this program and they just keep like applying points and then eventually you can use it towards your next pair of shoes that you go to get so it's kind of like a like a discount that's amazing right I was so excited about so I'm still kind of checking it out I haven't gone to get any shoes but I have done three pairs so far so that's that's a really good tip. I think I just walked past a J. Crew the other day, and I want to say they do something similar with jeans. I don't know if they have to be from the store or if they'll take any pair, but that is on my to-do list to investigate this summer. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So we said earlier that you'd paid off over $85,000. So you did it yeah. on two teacher salaries and you had a baby. So what was your strategy for paying it off? And sort of have you had to make any cutbacks or sacrifices? Yeah. So strategy might be a little bit generous for what's been going on, (laughs) but knowing that I had this podcast interview coming up, I actually did a deep dive into our mortgage account and I pulled up the entire history. Um, And starting in 2015, uh, I 
put an extra, I think it was like $39.04 towards our mortgage. So I had apparently found some personal finance blog that was recommending you round up to the next uh, dollar amount. So I got me to an even thousand. Um, And it just sort of snowballed from there. I hate my mortgage so much uh, that I was, as I was going through, even like one month later, I had upped the extra principal payment to $239. And it's just grown from there. Any extra money that we make side hustling or teaching stipends, things like that. Um, we, I get paid every other week. So you get those extra paychecks, quote unquote, um, that we don't budget for, we just budget for both of us getting paid twice a month. So we just stick the extra paycheck towards um, debt. And that has worked out really well. That is awesome. And I remember those little like unexpected pay bumps that you would get occasionally, like not all the time. And it definitely, it helps, especially I remember when I was teaching like the first paycheck after like Christmas break, like was always pretty small because you don't get, you get the two weeks off, but you're not paid the whole two weeks. And yeah. I remember always having that like panic feeling like deep inside, like, oh, goodness, like I've spent all this money over Christmas and now I get paid and it's like a lot less than what I usually would normally get. And I, I was struggling anyway because I was I was like a financial hurricane. Um, so I'm really glad that you guys like have set out like a budget and are able to pay back so much money and you're actually really being smart with it. I normally find that January is the longest month of the year. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Is that because it's dry January, Dennis? No, not because it's dry January, <laughs> because you've had all the Christmas expenditure, you know, and you sort of that's when all the bills become due. So Yeah. And yeah, like also talking about getting paid a little bit less in January that can happen so yeah yeah oh and it's totally a spending hangover i think it's it's this like consumerism frenzy and then you realize oh now i have to reckon with what i just did yeah and then you have to come to terms with it and i will say that some personal finance blogs do the very best i would imagine (laughs) (laughs) yes so what advice do you have for like teachers or firefighters or people who are in that sort of industry and they are a financial wreck and they don't know where to start, what would you kind of say to them? Oh my gosh. Uh, I think that that is a fantastic question. I don't know if I have the most fantastic answer, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. I think the first thing I would say is thank you because these are typically people who are following their passion. As you know, you know, they've picked a career that isn't always lucrative, but they're doing what they love. They're serving others. And I think by default, you have so much on your plate, you know, you're up to your eyeballs in what you do that a lot of your personal life gets put on the back burner. So I think that that is why a lot of teachers, I'll speak from that perspective because I'm most familiar with that, but I think that's why a lot of teachers find themselves in such dire financial straits because they don't think about it. They've got so much other 
I guess they're pulled in so many other directions. I think that the work can be mentally taxing, but emotionally taxing. So you just, oh, I'll deal with it over summer break. I'll deal with it over spring break. And then you're planning through the summer. And so the first thing I would say is thank you. And the second thing I would say is it gets better. Uh, But then I think it's time for tough love, right? Um, Even as a teacher, you have to know where your money is going. And there's no excuses. When I first started tracking my expenses, I would try to dismiss everything. Uh, I would say like, oh, well, those are granola bars for the after school homework help club. I have to buy those. Or that was $50 to restock my classroom library. I have to buy those. So I'm not going to write that down. You have to write down every penny. You don't judge it. You just need a record of Anything that's leaving your wallet, anytime you're swiping a credit card, anytime you're clicking buy it now. Um, And then once you have that information, you can see, do the numbers actually align with your priorities? And that's when you have some judgments to make. Um, I think another thing that teachers or uh, anyone really that I guess has more of a, a government job or a public service job You want to get to be really good friends with your benefits coordinator because even though there is a lot to be said about teachers being underpaid, we do have access to benefits that not everyone has, but it can be really murky. I never wanted to be that person that was asking the stupid question. So I just kept my mouth shut. You know, I I think I went to a benefits meeting when I was hired and I just kind of smiled and nodded and hoped it would eventually make sense. Then I realized, no, no, your benefits coordinator, their job is to coordinate benefits. They're there to answer phone calls and field emails and things like that. Um, so now I just tell myself that she can justify her job uh, by pulling up all my emails during her reviews. So I think as a teacher, you want to ask, are you getting, is, is continuing education, is getting a master's or other professional development, is that going to help you in terms of salary? Does your district match tuition? My district doesn't, uh, but they do offer small 0% loans for each semester on like a rolling basis. So that is in the teeniest of tiniest of fine print. But, you know, if you don't ask, you don't know. Uh, And there are other things, you know, do you have a 403B? Do you have access to a 457? What does that look like? Um, What are what fees are attached to it. So I think there's a lot of investigating, a lot of question asking. And once you put yourself out there a little bit, I think it's easier to keep asking questions than it is to just get started. I definitely would have to agree with you for that. And what is it like when it comes to budgeting as a family and having a new baby and childcare costs are so high? Because I remember... I didn't have kids and I couldn't have imagined having to pay for daycare and everything. But I would hear my friends talk about like how daycare was just like exorbitant and they were struggling to make ends meet because if a, if a husband were to get laid off or something <clears throat> happens and now you're left on just your one salary, what a lot of my friends were like, well, what do we do now? What do you have or advice when it comes to that kind of thing in budgeting? 
that's the million dollar question. Like that, right? that was a really <laughs> intense question. Sorry, I don't even think I wrote I, that down. No, it, it's a great question, though. It's it's um, really important, and I think there's a lot of debate and a lot of clickbait about no, no, children aren't really expensive, and that might be true in terms of oh, you can get secondhand clothes and. Um, baby lad weaning. They just, they eat what you eat. And there are all sorts of shortcuts to take. But if you are in a situation where you have to pay for childcare, having a child is expensive. But I think you have to remember um, that it's temporary. You know, this this too shall pass. That's what my husband and I say <laughs> over and over again. And, and we're really lucky um, because this past year we were able to have family uh, watch our son. So we paid less than what we would pay and what we are going to pay when we put him in, I guess, regular full-time daycare. But I think, um, you know, that's really the benefit of learning to live on less little by little uh, to build up an emergency fund. My maternity leave was entirely unpaid. I actually lost a third of my salary. So I, the way wow. my contract, yeah, the way my contract is written, um, I, the whole time I was off, I was not receiving a paycheck. I had to match my portion of the insurance because I carry the family's insurance. Uh, and then for the rest of the school year, actually until this coming August, I got about 67% of a typical paycheck. So uh, it is a rude awakening for a lot of people because my uh, school, my district, and a lot of districts do this. You know, they say you have a maternity leave policy, but then when you go to take your maternity leave, it's short-term disability. So that's a whole nother ball game um, where you work where that's under FMLA. It's not. It's not like you're using sick time or you're getting paid time off or anything like that. So I think it can throw a wrench in a lot of people's plans financially, which is another reason why it's great uh, to make friends with your benefits coordinator, because holy cow, did I send thousands of emails. Um, and I guess in terms of a, a, a strategy or, or how you cope with that, um, for us, I was a breadwinner. I earned significantly more than my husband because I've been teaching longer. My district pays better than his. Um, I guess you really look hard at your budget and you see, you know, what can you cut? What can you not cut? The whole time I was pregnant, we didn't make any extra payments on our mortgage. We didn't make any extra payments on anything. We just squirreled away money, whether it was um, that extra paycheck or cashing out Ibotta and having $50 in PayPal. We just hoarded as much money as we could, knowing that we had some savings that we could fall back on. And then we just kept telling ourselves, if we don't need this money, if we don't use it on my leave, then we can just make one lump payment down the road. And that worked out really well. Well, thank goodness you're such a good planner because I could see where a lot of people could really get into a huge financial mess in that kind oh, of situation. And I'm absolutely. sure you know a lot of people, a lot of your friends that have probably also gone on maternity leave and have not been as diligent in tracking and, and being organized with that kind of thing. 
Oh, and it's, um, I think every cliche about being pregnant and being a new mom is true. Uh, it, it is, you know, it's, you've never been so excited. You've never been so tired. You've never been so nervous. So, uh, I think just asking first time moms to figure this all out on their own, we're putting a huge burden on them. And I know that there's a lot of debate in personal finance about the gender wage gap. Is that real or not? But I think that this is a perfect example of the motherhood tax. Um, You know, my husband's salary, thank goodness, was not touched. And we had that to fall back on. But, you know, you just, you really start to wonder if we were people that wanted a big family, I'm, I'm quite frankly, not sure we could afford it and we're good with money. Um, so it's definitely something I think the sooner you could start thinking about the better. Definitely. Yeah. So what has been your investments philosophy? Mm, uh, start yesterday and don't look, don't look. Um, so, so I guess to circle back to your first question about money whoopses, um, this would be one of mine. I waited far too long to get in the market. And once I finally was, all of that hype around crypto where that, like that was all people could talk about and they were checking constantly, constantly, constantly. That was me with just a regular Vanguard account. I was so nervous and I probably logged on 50 times a day. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like if I visited my money more frequently, nothing bad would happen to it. I couldn't even tell you. (laughs) Um, But I once, you know, you get you get a plan, you calm down. Uh, People say, you know, take the emotions out of investing. And you certainly don't want to be emotional to the degree I was. But I think, you know, it's it's your future. You have a vested interest in it. So it makes sense why people get emotional. Um, so we are just in something really simple. We have all of our money, aside from our pensions, invested with Vanguard. We use uh, target retirement funds for our Roths. We max those out every year. And then we have a taxable account. I just set up a 403B with Fidelity. The ink is drying somewhere in my HR department um, because I finally was able to get that started where I didn't have to go through a broker, anybody where I could pick the fund. There were really low fees. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I would be happier if my money was all in one spot with Vanguard, but um this is definitely a good, good option. So I think that that is our philosophy. Just calm down and get going because there's no making up for lost time. I could not relate to all of that more than you could imagine. Because when I first started investing a little, not that long ago, I put my money into a Robinhood account for the stock market. And I only put in like $50. (laughs) And I think I checked it hourly for like days. And like you said, like, I don't know what I was expecting. Like if all the money was gone, there's ultimately nothing that I could have done anyway. So I don't like, but I just had to like keep looking to make sure that it was all there. Oh yeah. It's, it's so psychological and emotional until you get your feet wet. And then you realize, okay, I can weather the bumps. You know, I'm in it for the long run. I can see out the storms. Uh, 
but for sure, for sure, when you first get started, I think there is that white knuckle feeling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also sort of instant gratification as well. The world that we live in today, you know, looking at the money and you're like, it's up, it's up. I'm making so much money. It just needs to keep doing this every single day. And then you realize it doesn't do it every day. And you have days where it comes back a lot. (laughs) And so learning that patience is sort of key to long-term growth. Yes, the swings for sure. So for anybody who doesn't know, because I don't know if I was the only one, but for a long, long time, I squirreled all my money in a in my like Bank of America savings account. And I thought that's where you were just supposed to keep your money. And I was super unfamiliar with investing and what to do and how to get started. So what would you tell somebody who's just getting started? Like what advice or what resources can they use? I feel like you wrote this question for me. Uh, because <laughs> you wrote it I, for me. <laughs> I, I was the exact same way. And I, I really don't think it's anybody's fault, at least to start with, because it's how we talk about it, right? You save for retirement, you save for a rainy day. Nobody uses the word invest. Uh, So I think it, it makes sense why people want to fill up a savings account as best as they can, because that's savings. Um, I had started a Roth since I was, I was 14 and my dad was like, you, you need this thing. So we set it up and it was fantastic, except it sat in a bank CD until I kid you not, I think I was 24, 25 years old, uh, earning 3%, 2%, 1%. So you're definitely not alone if you're just getting started. I think the biggest thing that anybody can do is to pick maybe one or two of the finance books um, that get tossed around or even just do a search of Vanguard and things like that and visit some of the forums. But honestly, I think finding different blogs that talk about their people who write about their own experience, like this was me, this is how I started investing, I think is fantastic. But I think you also have to take that with a grain of salt. I know when I was contemplating taking the plunge, I had set out a tweet, do I use this robo-advisor or do I use that robo-advisor? Because at the time I'd been listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss and I was drinking a lot of that Kool-Aid. So I was hearing, you know, he advertises this one robo-advisor almost every podcast. And I thought, well, that must be the one. Um, but, But then the more I talked to people who actually use them, the more I realized, you know, tax time was kind of a nightmare um, because they're they're marketed as these like really simple tools. But then people who need simple, I don't think are always really equipped to get 10, 20, 30 page tax documents at tax time. Um, so I think it was Tanya at Our Next Life who tweeted me right away and was like, if, if they're going to put your money in Vanguard, why don't you just put your money in Vanguard? So that was why I just um, went 
on their website and then I called them up on the phone, which I know is really scary for millennials to do. But I, I spoke with someone and I kept saying like, this is free. You're not charging me for this phone call. Like this is, this is, you're just this helpful. You don't even have my money yet. Uh, and they walked me through the different options and we talked fees and we picked a target retirement fund that, you know, fit the bill for where I was at that point. And I just kept asking about my options for changing things up down the future and, you know, were there penalties for that? And so I guess, I guess the theme of this podcast is to just put yourself out there and ask questions because there's so much information. I don't know that anybody could take it all in and digest it and come up with a perfect plan. I think you just, you take a step and you look around and see how things are going. You ask questions and you take another step and you just, you know, one foot in front of the other, and then you build this financial plan for yourself. Definitely one question at a time. It's definitely definitely true. (laughs) Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. If you're looking for ways to track your spending, head over to chainofwealth.com slash spending. There you'll be redirected to a post Katie created, and it's all about tracking your spending. And it'll teach you a lot of ways that you can really benefit from tracking your spending and will even teach you some tips and tricks to do it yourself. That's chainofwealth.com slash spending. All right, Penny. So why do you think people struggle to achieve their dreams? Ooh, uh, I guess two different things. I think in our society, we value perfection over progress. So people play it safe. And I think if you're going to get good at taking positive risks, you have to practice that behavior. But if you're worried about failing, you don't. And I also think that People achieve more of their dreams than they realize. I just wrote a post about this on Monday and I couldn't believe how well received it was. I always assumed success was like, I don't know, mile marker a million. I, I would maybe maybe get there by the end of my life. And then I realized, oh no, you know, we've we all have success here and there. We just don't don't stop to acknowledge it. So I think, you know, maybe we haven't accomplished the dream yet, but we've accomplished some dreams. We just don't stop and and take it all in. It's also a moving target, you know. (laughs) The moment you've achieved one thing, you want to achieve more. Yes. Awesome. So do you have a favorite book or podcast? Oh my, as an English teacher, man, I could talk your ear off. So I have to give the classic English teacher answer in case my students ever stumble upon this. I have to say Harry Potter. Um, as as far as money books go, I guess your money or your life was, yes. was just exactly that reaction. I think everybody has that reaction when they get their hands on that book. Um, and then I lately, I've read... The Less of More, and now I just listen to it again, and then The Year of Less. I just can't get enough of those books because it's like practical and approachable and actionable minimalism, not not crazy origami socks minimalism. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you have one. What is your favorite quote? Oh, man. Uh, if I was a really good money blogger, I'd whip out like a Buffett 
quote or something. Um, but I think right now I'm looking at it. I have a sticky note on my laptop that says kindness costs nothing. And I think that's that's quote worthy, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Especially as a teacher, you have to remember that all the time, I feel like, during the day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Penny, we've absolutely loved hanging out. Do you have any other last pottering piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. I think everybody who's listening, whether you're just getting started or you know more about money than than me and everybody else, um, take some time to do one thing on your to-do list today. You know, pause the conversation right now and go do something. Write down everything you've bought so far. Put $10 in your savings account. Send an email about uh, your benefits package. Just pick one thing and get it done. Shane, as we've been hanging out with Penny... You can check out her website at shepicksuppennies.com and definitely focus on one simple task that you can achieve today. It can make a massive impact down the road. Chainers, we absolutely loved hanging out today. And don't forget to continue the conversation with us on Twitter. Hit us up. It's at Chain of Wealth. And we'll definitely get back to you. Let us know what you thought of the show. And are you tracking your spending? We would love to know. That's Chain of Wealth on Twitter. Catch you on the flip side. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.